and welcome to the Neurodivergence and Mental Health Podcast. My name is Sally Nilsson and I'm a psychotherapist, published author, public speaker and mum. I discovered my autism and ADHD aged 56 in March 2021 and having rewritten my life story, I'm on a quest to advocate for neurodivergent community. I hope you enjoy listening to my incredible guests sharing their experiences of autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, Tourette's and OCD. We talk about growing up, education, work and personal stories and how mental health has played its part in shaping lives. Our conversations cover spectrums, traits, challenges, acceptance and successes. So sit back, relax and find out what it means to feel, think and be different in a neurotypical world. Okay, so thanks very much, um, Sam, for agreeing to take part in uh, the Neurodivergency and Mental Health podcast. Um, So, yeah, um, as the name suggests, it's uh, talking about your journey and your differences, you know, and and how mental health has, uh, you know, you've been affected by it over the years. And uh, really what, what I like to do at the beginning is just a nice, simple introduction. So the floor is yours. Please, can you introduce yourself, Sam? (laughs) <laughs> thank you, Sally, and thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, my name's Sam. I am a writer and director, um, predominantly of audio plays, given lockdown. Um, and I, on my to- topics I've been focusing on have been LGBT-themed and neurodiversity. Um, I also have a day job as well, where I work in the corporate world, uh, looking at strategy and change and things like that. Um, I'm also a mother, and I live in Warwickshire, and I have just adopted a little puppy. Oh goodness! Now I did see a little photograph, <laughs> and the cutest little thing in the whole world. Uh, so, what type of puppy have you got, and what is its name? So he's gorgeous. He's um, thirteen weeks old now. He's Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, and he's called Doogie. Oh, heavenly! I, I can just, you know, with my senses, my super senses, I can smell him. Puppy <laughs> he's got smell. that puppy smell exactly he's got the puppy smell and i just hope he doesn't lose it because he's just delicious he really is so yummy i bet i know he won't just keep smelling that tummy and they're, they're absolutely gorgeous and those soft ears and those doleful eyes he'll wrap you around his little paws you know all the time so um where roughly in the country do you live did you say Warwickshire in the Midlands. Oh, Warwickshire. Oh, lovely. In August, actually, I'm going um, on a steam train from uh, Reading to Warwickshire. And I'm really looking forward to oh. it because I'm a bit of a nerdy um, steam train <laughs> person. And I'm dying to go to uh, Warwick Castle. A good choice. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Let's definitely check that out. Yeah. Definitely Beautiful. check that out. Can't wait. Absolutely can't wait. So um, how long have you um, known that you're... You, that you're neurodivergent and and what is are your neurodivergencies so uh, i was diagnosed autistic um i think it must be three coming up four years now um three four years ago and i've only just recently been diagnosed formally with adhd um suspected it all along i mean um i i'd had my autism diagnosis and i just felt that it wasn't explaining everything and I kind of felt like I had a handle under my autistic quirks 
um, you know, predominantly them being sort of sensory things, um, socialization things, um, people related things. But then I also had other traits that I just didn't feel like autism was explaining and accounting for. Um, and such as impulsivity, hyperactivity, uh, just the ability to want to do everything that occurs to me, um, like I write about in Crocodile, is, you know, it's very, very much driven by my ADHD powers. So, um, yeah, so I've actually been dealing with that for the last three or four months. And I've said this before, and I will say this again, there's one thing, thinking you are something, and then there's another thing, knowing it. Actually knowing I was diagnosed with moderate ADHD, and actually to hear that, even though I suspected it and I known it all along, but then you've got to get your brain around it. Okay, how am I going to deal with this now? You know, add that to my my autism. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to handle it? Um, you know, what sort of treatments or what plans or what strategies am I going to put in place now? Because I can't not do anything about it. I have to do something about it. And I do and understand. I yeah, I do understand what you're saying because uh, I'm 56 and was diagnosed. I, I want. I was going for an, an autism diagnosis, and I went to see two female neurotypical pathologized um, psychologists and they said um, no autism traits which I don't think exists and um, but high markers for ADHD and I had no idea about the ADHD so it's back to front so I went away and I thought no I don't I believe that because I've done months of reading and listening and watching and everything so um, that was a thousand pounds so 700 pounds further on I went to this fantastic lady called Sarah Hendricks who's absolutely amazing and she diagnosed my autism she's done 800 assessments over 10 years so I trust her and she's autistic as yeah. well and the thing is is it's that it's that thing about how important self-diagnosis is for whoever wants it to be because yeah. if you think you've got it you know, you're not going to have a flat, well, this might happen, but I don't know why it would. You're not going to go around wanting to be autistic and ADHD because we know ourselves, don't we, Sam? It's really, really tough, isn't it? Yep, <laughs> yep, definitely. Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't think you would actively go out your way to try to be diagnosed as autistic in ADHD if you weren't, no. And the ADHD and the autism, I mean, I came across this chap called Paul Mikolev on YouTube and he was brilliant because he did a video about um, uh, autism versus ADHD and it really helped me. I did a Venn diagram about it to see where the autism starts and the ADHD finished. So as far as you're concerned, you know, I mean, I know it's only been a few months, but ADHD is just so complex. So, so, so is autism. Um, autism. Do you know where your sort of starts, uh, the autism starts and the ADHD finishes at all? I, I think so, because I do feel like I've got a handle on my autism, if you like. And I feel like I, I, I've had it, I've been thinking and working about it and writing plays about it and talking to people about it for, for sort of three years now, which is about, 48 years in a non um, ADHD brain possibly but um, so I feel like my to use the dog analogy it's a bit of a poodle now my autism I've got it under control it's okay it's behaving I pretty much understand it I know what to feed it it's all right but my ADHD feels like a bit of a lion it's not tamed enough and classically what happened with my ADHD when I got diagnosed is it well, it got worse which is what happened with my autism when I first got diagnosed because I stopped masking and all, all the masks and everything fell off and I became more artistic. Everybody told me I became more artistic. Um, I think while I was exploring it and expressing it, 
and I think with my ADHD, I think the same thing has happened in the last four months. I think my intensity has accelerated and I've wanted everything more. You know, everything's been heightened. It's like everything's gone into technicolor for me now. And, um, and I'm really trying to work through that so that I can get that into a poodle state as well. No disrespect to poodles or, or, or lions. It's just as an analogy, just in terms of how well I'm able to control it and the traits, if you like. I um, think it's really I'd interesting like that, that they talk about color because for some straight, you know, I really get this um, a rainbow and color because I'm knitting a huge rainbow scarf at the moment. Mm -hmm. I've got rainbow colored sweets. I've got marbles. Everything is in, it literally is in Technicolor <laughs> at the moment because, you know, I'm so understimulated with the ADHD. You've mentioned that, um, uh, are you combined? Because you've mentioned um, impulsive and hyper um, activity. Do you have any daydreaming and, and inattentive as well? What, do you, do you, what, what type are you? You've said it's moderate. It's, it's, moderate. it's interesting because, um, you know, what was explained to me was my autism gives me the hyper focus sort of. So the ability to sit down and write a play in two days. I wrote Kitty. I think I wrote Kitty in three days um, oh. in three separate sit-ins. I just sat in a cupboard and wrote a play. Um, but, and, and I think that's my autism hyper focus. I just say I am going to sit down and do this and I am able to do it. And I know that that is a challenge with some people with ADHD. So I think my autistic side kind of counteracts that so like i'm saying like my it's under control and like I, I i can deploy deploy hyper focus and i do it and i go write that play um but then but then i get ridiculously bored and boredom feels like pain and um and i need things i need stimulation i need things to be interesting and exciting and i seek it out if i can't find it i need things to you know make life interesting for me so that impulsive kind of need for things to be happening um excitement you know drama that kind of thing so uh, yeah it's impulsive um it's impulsive and hyperactive i'm not i, I really struggle to sit down and watch a television program it's very very difficult for me to do that but no the inattentive doesn't bother me because as i say i can kind of kick in my um my hyper focus general day-to-day -day boring tasks i can't be doing with but but I, I am able to focus on something and nail it really well it is so really, a, yeah, it's really, really hard. It, it is, but it's very hard because you, um, the autism side takes, uh, it can take a long time before you can get to do it. I'm writing a book at the moment and it is all in my head. I wrote a book before and until it is all completely formulated and even Correct. the chapters and everything in my head. And it's a, and for, for me, because it's a book about redoing my life through the autism ADHD lens now, called The Alien Within, when it eventually gets written. Um, it, it, it's not ready until I've finished with my special interest of learning everything I need to know about autism and ADHD and neurodivergency. Once I know enough about it and I can see how it, how it is for me to write it, at that point, my last book took me six months to write and it was a big book and it was research about Titanic. It was massive, you know, a massive subject. But this one, once I know, one day that, that it will come and I'll, and I'll just do it and offer, and, and offer to go. But it's definitely to do with the autism side and the ADHD side of it. Um, and it, it can be quite complicated. And something just before we came on, which I think is quite now is a, a very good, because we're talking about mental health as well. Um, last week, my phone died. 
and I had my first recognized meltdown as an autistic person. I knew I'd had a burnout um, back in April. Um, it lasted about 10 days. But this was a proper meltdown because my whole world is on my phone. And, and you're very, very keen to talk about meltdowns and doogies included. So I really would love to ask you about meltdowns and how they are in your life, Sam. I, I think what I'm learning now, and this is wet paint theory, um, as in it's very new thinking for me. It's just really wet paint. It's not, you know, it's, <laughs> it's that fresh. Um, I think what I've realized, I have really struggled um, definitely this last calendar year and I, and I think that's because I've had um, too many points of uncertainty in my life and what I've realized now that it's July is that I need my home inverted commas to be stable mm. and everything else can go in interesting you know directions and things can happen but if my home is not stable and I and I don't know what's happening in my home and I can return to it and, and things are how I need them to be. Without that base, I'm in trouble and I'm going to have lots of meltdowns. And I've, this year I've had rolling meltdowns. I call them rolling meltdowns. I made it up as an expression because, yeah, I know what because you're I'll, I'll, I'll have one. Okay. And I'll get over it and it might last an hour. It might last a day, but I'll get over it. And it's like a sticking plaster and I'll maybe go seven days. And, a, but, it's not gone and then something ridiculous will happen and I will trigger into another meltdown, which I know is related to the first one. Yes. And, and, and this has been happening to me genuinely the whole of this year, I would say I've been having rolling meltdowns. Um, and I think that's, I think that's just a lack of stable base. And I think now I've realized that, and as I say, super wet paint the last weekend that I've realized that I need to have an absolutely stable I almost need the stable base so I can kick against it. So my ADHD will let me do my exploratory things, you know, writing my plays, um, you know, contacting agents, having creative concepts, writing a children's book. I randomly wrote a children's book a few months ago um, in Garden of Heaven. In order for me to be creative and to, 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 to get my outlets and be, and use my ADHD for good, not bad. <laughs> I've got to have my stable base and, mm -hmm. And I, I honestly think I've, I've blamed all kinds of things for meltdowns. Honestly, you, you name it, I've blamed it. Like money, the weather, I mean, literally. But I realise now in July, it's about home and having the, the four walls that are safe and you close the door. And, and that for me is, it, personally, what's been the cause of this rolling, endless situation with the meltdowns. And I'm hoping now I'm going to be in recovery because I know that that's what I need. I think there's three, um, I mean, even, you know, I've got a model of therapy that I follow, but when you've been, when you've been a psychotherapist for say five years, which is how I have, then you start integrating and looking at other bits that suit you and your style of how you talk to clients and things like that. And, um, and it's just interesting what you say. I mean, there, there's, I think it's very simple. You know, I, I go with the polyvagal theory and Stephen Porges quite a lot in the sense that um, it's about safety and, and it's a lot yes. about stress. And I think your body needs to feel safe. Your yeah. environment needs to feel safe. And the people that you have in your life need to feel safe. If you've got those three bits of security and safety in your life, 
you do feel grounded and you can handle it. So I totally, totally get what you're saying about your house. And I'm not sure how I feel about that because we rent and I'm quite looking forward to my next challenge. I never used to be like that. I wanted to be different, but I think that might be my ADHD wanting stimulation and the next best thing maybe. So I don't know, but I do get what you're saying. And then um, in autism, um, I've had clients coming to me with, into reception and uh, alexithemia well it's the alexithemia where you can't really put your finger on that particular emotion um, and then you just carry on with your busy life and you forget it and you shove it in a filing cabinet but then five days later i tell you what that emotion is just going to come back and you're going to have a meltdown about the thing that happened five days ago it's going to come later because five days ago you couldn't you didn't do it. You didn't deal with it then. And it just stays in your body and, the, and it comes back and bites you on the bum. And then you get in. I can see how you can get into this rolling meltdown. But I, I think it can be sometimes so soupish. You don't know which meltdown was for which life event. And I, I've got in the trap of trying to explain them because sort of people around you need to know, well, why? Okay, now you calm, brilliant, that's wicked. Um, what was it about? I mean, it's a natural thing to do post-mortem. And then I feel the need to explain it. So I'll say, oh, well, um, well, I was a bit worried about money or, I, I, you know, I was a bit worried because we'd made the plan for the weekend and I didn't really want to do it. Or it doesn't matter. And then what happens is you get eight excuses in or eight meltdowns in and you're like, well, hang on. But first of all, you said it was that. Then you said it was that. Then you said it was that. And it's because I'm making it up because I'm trying to make it make sense when it doesn't. And, and I, I really like what you're saying about not being able to identify emotion. I struggle with that a lot. I'll feel something that feels so big inside me. I don't understand it, but I want it to stop. Yeah. And I'll do anything to make it stop. I don't know if it's sad. I don't know if it's happy even or overwhelmed it becomes so big that I don't even care what it is. I need it to go away. And I think sometimes I'll have a meltdown to pop it almost because I just want it to stop. And I'm not very good at identifying that the name for the feeling. It's just big it's and I don't so like it. so big. And, and I used to, I used to drink because um, it was so big. I couldn't bear it. And I needed to drink um, and get into oblivion. Um, and it's, you know, it's sad. I don't care because I don't drink anymore. I'm in my 40. I'll never go back to drink because now I know it's ADHD and, and meltdowns. Yeah. I don't need to do it. But if I get to the point of meltdown, there's got to be something. It's got to come out. It's got to say, you know, and you can't get to Oh, poofy, such a, do you know what I mean when I say poofy? It's an old, it's an old yeah. kind of word that, you know, old fashioned word, this yeah. thing about going all mindful and, and all this kind of go and do some exercise. It's too big for that. You know, there's this massive thing. It's got to come out. Um, and actually for me, I, I've got to stick headphones on. I've got to put electronica music on really full blast. And I've got to have a Sally's disco in my kitchen for half an hour because it hurts. And I've got to get it out. What What would you do physically when there's too much and, and you've got that meltdown? What would you do? So I, like you, I will put a song on that I will have to put on so loud, like really, really, really loud. Even when I'm not coping with noise, it doesn't make any difference. I need this 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 tune on, this song that I've decided is my tune for now that's, that's on so loud. Um, and sometimes that doesn't work. I've tried going in the bath because sometimes having a bath helps. 
like the stopping and relaxing. But sometimes that won't work. I've tried walking. I've tried listening to meditation. Um, you know, so some of these fixes are calming down ones and some of these fixes are ramping up ones. Now, the thing is, I can't drink caffeine because I can't add caffeine to me because I don't need it because I'm already like caffeinated. Yeah. I can't, I haven't drank. Well, I, I've never really drank at all, but I mean, I literally haven't touched alcohol in how old am I now? 25 years. I mean, I just don't drink. Um, yeah. I don't smoke. I don't do anything. I can't take stimulants. I can't even take medication. My body doesn't tolerate anything. I once had stitches in my face because I, um, because I'd had a mole removed and my body within two hours had pushed the stitches out. My body doesn't want anything. It just expels everything. It is not interested. It doesn't want, uh, it doesn't want anything kind of uh, adding to it. So, you know, knowing what to do in a meltdown, I would love to know. I would love to know. I don't know whether to feed them or calm them. And I don't think there's always a right answer. I think probably some need feeding and some need calming. But it is literally my life mission to talk about meltdowns and look at different ways of intervening. On a, on a sort of scientific way and, and how I talk to my clients about this, you know, just very, very briefly, we have amygdala on either side of our brain and it's the size of a, you know, it looks like a little almond. And what happens is a trigger. So, that we're, you know, we're, we're just human beings like everybody else and we still have a trigger from trauma and things like that that happen normally, you know, bad things that happen, life events that are horrible that happen. And we'll get a trigger and it's intensified because of our neurodivergency. But what happens is the trigger will come and it shoots into our brain. Because I've been studying this on my own with stuff that's been happening. And my God, it goes quick like that. It's so quick it goes into your amygdala and it shuts you down. And, and that shutdown could be the meltdown or whatever it is. But we need to feel our feelings as long as we're safe. So, um, you know, some people get a shutdown and, and they need to be under a weighted blanket with a hot water bottle closed and they need to just shut down. And I am saying, do that. Your body is telling you to do that. Stephen Porges from the polyvagal theory, he will tell you to do that because it's a primitive reflex from when we were really, really primitive human beings. And if you're having a shouty, shouting, you know, meltdown, yeah. Yeah. You kind of need to do that as well because it's gonna off it will offline you, it'll do unhook you, it will do whatever it needs to do. But I've seen videos of um, people who have got more autistic challenges than I have, certainly, and they have a dog and they have a service dog, and the service dog knows when a big meltdown is coming, and it's all relatively speaking, and they will lick their hands and they will go up to them, and the person can cut, put their arms around them. I mean, this thing where you can stroke your body and rock and do this, it's like havening. Um, if yeah. I've ever got any money again, which I never seem to have, you, I want to do havening because it's fantastic. And you rub yourself, you know, a bath or a weighted blanket can do it as well. It's just getting yourself back. How do you think Doogie, who's only 13 weeks, bless him, but um, he's got a, a, an important role to play. How's Doogie going to help you with your meltdowns? Well, I mean, I can already tell you, I was, um, mornings are very difficult for me. I struggle on a morning. And I, like I said to you, I've just come out of a very difficult few months, having now probably realised the root cause of it. But um, but I was having a bad time this morning because my, my weight's not good. And I thought I'd been gaining over the weekend and I got on the scales and I'm not, I'm a really bad weight still. And and that plunged me into not a great place in my head. And I sat on my bed 
and he blessing his teeny weeny managed to jump up on the bed he came all the way on the bed and he sat on my chest and I took a photograph um of him there because it's like he knew I'd had bad news and he just came and laid right on my chest and the difference I made it was amazing because I stopped feeling sorry for myself and gave him a stroke and said come on let's you know go outside and give him a biscuit and stuff and I stopped thinking about me so much and I I feel like he he's almost feels like a divine intervention you know it just like the fact that he could sense that I wasn't in a good place and he he came and gave me some comfort he's already winning for me um you know that That's, that is really you know you're saying about wet paint but you know this 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 happens you know this is like an epiphany just you and I talking at the moment the thing is, I mean, there's even something like a cushion and it's it's a cushion with a tail and it purrs and vibrates. Um, and they were using it for people with dementia. But I think that um, people, you know, well, this is so terrible when we're elderly with autism. God only knows what that's going to be like. But, um, you know, it, it, even if you had a, if you bought a cushion that vibrates and purrs with a tail when you have a meltdown, or a guinea pig or something you can hold or stroke because it's the different senses. It's stroking that soft fur. It's the smell of them. It's something like that, but it doesn't actually matter what it is, Sam, because yeah, if, okay. as long as you've got, you know, that's why people have the weighted blanket, you know, it's like a hug when you have, um, um, autistic people who are, who are very challenged and not able and having a very, very difficult time. Um, they need sometimes to really have very, very strong arms around them, yes. to calm them down. And yeah. some people say, oh, that's ABA and it's terrible and it's abuse and everything else. Well, not really, because yeah. if you're having a really terrible meltdown, you know, I can't, I can't go there with ABA and everything. I'm not political and I don't go pitchforks at dawn just to add that as well. Um, different people need different things and i'm and i'm really looking forward to seeing how doogie continues with you yeah and i i'm i think it's like 12 weeks or 20 weeks you can become a therapy dog and i i'm keen that he does that because yeah. he seems to have a natural intuition um um so i i'm going to look into him you yeah. kind of going go, sending him on a course um That's and seeing where that goes and yeah. that that was why that was why i i got him because um i just i needed I needed something to love that was for me, you know, just, you know, being quite selfish, but I, I identified that I wasn't coping and that I needed something, you know, very specific. But that's so practical. Um, just going back to mental health and anxiety is that we can get, it's so easy for us to negatively go into our head, but it's always going to be a, um, a good thing and a positive thing positive thing to get out of your head and into being practical so for you to use um doogie in order to do that um you know that you know that can only be a good thing so i'm really looking forward to seeing how that's going to go now um we're, we're looking at um autism uh, for yourself and um i hate that expression for yourself or you somebody said that oh it's the, my it's my state agent actually that we're saying for yourself just say for you and um <laughs> sorry about that and um i just you know going back to sort of uh, you know your olden days in the life of um sam um have you got neurodivergency in your family as far as you know so kitty my final play of the trilogy i wrote was loosely based on my grandma um and she wasn't diagnosed or anything bless her she was um you know she was 89 when she when she, uh, when she passed away and so she was diagnosed um but she had lots and lots of quirks and traits and a lot of people couldn't understand her 
and found her problematic and very blunt and difficult. And I never found that difficult. I didn't find that challenging at all. I thought, I just actually thought it was interesting and amusing. Um, and so when I wrote Kitty, I very much had my grandma in mind. And, you know, she really did make tea out of a hot water bottle last night's hot water for the for the tea um so you best not to turn upon a morning so you know she did she did and she did have the granny hook um and you know there's quite a few bits and bobs in all of my plays most things are true but on a diagonal you know somehow um so yeah i th- i did definitely say my 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 grandma was um but i i don't and my my you know children does um you know there's there's autism there as well so um yeah i think I think more and more people are finding this in their families, aren't they? They are, but you, grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you. Well, I'm thinking from even my first book, my great grandfather, who was a helmsman on the Titanic. I'm wondering now if he had ADHD, for goodness sake. And uh, and uh, well, we know what happened to the ship. Never mind. That's a story for another day. But um, (laughs) you you picked uh, the most fantastic actress to be Kitty (laughs) that you could ever pick because. you know, she swears like a trooper, and I do as well. And uh, that must be my sailor and, you know, my sea, seafaring background. Te- you've got to tell our listeners, who did you pick for Kitty for, for this um, play? So I actually wrote the play for her. I didn't just pick her um, because she was interested when I was writing Mole. Um, and, and it didn't work out for whatever reason. And so it was like, well, well why don't I write you a play and make you the title role? Um, so I actually wrote Kitty for Miriam Margulies. Um, so yeah, the play was, so I had her in my head the entire time as I was writing it, obviously my grandma with, with the autism, I had to bring the autism in. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was Miriam. So Miriam, Miriam's personality is just exuberant and, and fabulous. And um, I think what I wanted to get across with, with Kitty as well was, you know, she'd lived this whole massive full life. And I think some young, younger people often think, you know, older people don't, didn't have a life and they what do they know they don't know anything and I think listening to Kitty you find out all these fabulous things that she was involved in and kind of the richness of a life and then you know Ray her her granddaughter who's had the autism ADHD diagnosis is trying to say to her come on grand get a diagnosis stand up for women particularly women because we're underdiagnosed it matters go and count and so the journey she's on during Kitty as they drive in a camper van across Scotland is you know should I do it or not and at the end I'm spoiler alert but you know she she wants to go and have that diagnosis because it matters you know knowing who you are matters not just to you but to your family and to to, to all of us that are on the on the, um, the spectrum. I can't wait to hear it because you know I was so so wanted to get you on and 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 this was a lot for today but I said to you, you know I'm going to be listening to all those fantastic plays while I go and walk in nature cloud gazing and trying to dodge that well we've just had a thunderstorm and uh and i'm really really looking forward to um, doing that but you've just you've just made me think of another really important advocacy for us to concentrate on because i certainly believe that it is the um, neurodivergent community who are going to get things done not government not policy makers not people up in because we're not very good with hierarchy but we're very big on justice <laughs> i think that's really important um and um Oh, goodness, what was I going to say? So my mum's 86 and she's in a care home at the moment. And uh, I am thinking of all these um, post-war, beautiful, wonderful people who are in care homes, but more to the point, it's very, very close to my heart, but that's a story for another day. Autistic um, people who are past 80 and they're in hospital 
Yeah. And I've just recently seen something which was so horrific and quite PTSD tra traumatizing in a way. Um, what happens to neurodivergent people when they're kind of on their own and in, uh, during COVID in a hospital with all the strip lights, with a big ward, with the noise and the chaos. And I saw some stuff not long ago that I wish I hadn't seen. I can't put it back in my eyes, um, yeah. but, I, but I'm, you know, I'm doing it. What do you think about that? Because that is part of your book. But what about these poor old people with autism, for instance? I, I think what you, what's going to happen there is what happens to all of us in the wider community, but it's more concentrated, is what will happen to them, I imagine, is it will become about their behaviour. And so, like you said, you've got strip lights, you've got endless visitors, you've got noise, you've got beep, beep, beep machines. I mean, I'm getting stressed thinking about it. And so what will happen is these autistic people will trigger and their, their behavior will then become difficult. And what will happen is they'll medicate the behavior because that is the classic thing to do. You autistic person have now become difficult or ADHD person. Let's medicate your behavior. Let's give you something to bring you down to kind of calm you down. And my fear would be that they get medicated instead of, um, you know, have their needs met. And this just, this just happened, and I, without sort of mentioning who, who the person was, um, but um, the consultant called me, and um, or I called them, and they weren't coming back to me, and I said, this, this person is really, really struggling and very ill, and, and they said, uh, oh, this person is, uh, is becoming very aggressive, and we, you know, we might need to um, have an intervention and forms to fill in and everything else. I said, go, 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 just hang on one moment, please. This person that you're talking about is the most amazing, wonderful, caring, fantastic person ever and is not aggressive. I think this person's autistic and, and you need to change the way you're talking about. And my God, did they backpedal, but it, it was already out there. So what you're saying, I witnessed it myself not long ago and that's a real problem and it's something we need to be on top of, I think. I think we are just massively understood. I, I know, you know, autistic people get arrested because they're just trying to use their arms as, you know, in gesture to stay, stay away from me. Because the worst thing you can do is block our way. You know, if we need to get out, and we're not feeling safe. We're going to panic and we're going to use loads of eye contact oh and even touching. Oh my goodness. Oh, exactly. And so we're going to overload and we're going to like the arms will start going and we'll physically start moving. And then that would, could be seen as, us then you know being aggressive or um assaulting a police officer or whatever but it's not it's you know that's what that is what happens under and somebody was shot I, I don't know if it was here in america but somebody was shot because of that because they were having a meltdown in public and um and you know what with the thing about adhd is that um, with ADHD, so many people in prison are like 70% of people in prison oh, I've got undiagnosed ADHD. And uh, unsurprisingly, and, and they, they try to say it's because of poverty and it's not, it's because of ADHD and, and, and problems within the family because it, we know that it can be genetic, you know, our, our difficulties can be genetic. And it causes a lot of difficulties within relationships and within families. And some families, the whole family is neurodivergent. 
so it can be really really hard but um you know these are things i hope the powers that be will start thinking about and i'd like if i may sam just to move on to another subject um you know i i will want to talk to you so that people know more about these fantastic plays that you've um you've written bionically in um in lockdown but um uh, what jobs were you doing how old are you if you don't mind me asking how old am I? I I'm, I've just had my half kitty birthday. I'm 45. So you are. So you're. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, 45. So you're 45. And um, yeah. so before you were writing plays, uh, which seem quite um, new. And I know that you've said that you're in the corporate field dealing with strategy and change. Well, that. Well, we're a complete paradox and anomalies and everything else as well, <laughs> aren't we? So um, you know, so <laughs> how are you doing change then? Because um, autists aren't great with change. Um, well, I do big box change, like big thinking change, you know, strategic change, changing a company's direction, that kind of stuff. And my ability to create things and think about solutions and ideas and business proposals nobody else can is absolutely my my forte. So it's about um, a paradigm shift stuff, not day to day, you know, don't fill this form in, fill this form in. It's not yes, like little yeah. change like that. It's It's bigger strategic stuff. So it kind of really lends well to how my brain works because I think of big concepts. The other, um, the other, I suppose, positive, I've, I've got another positive is that I don't see obstacles. I just don't see obstacles. So I'll think, right, let's go open this new branch of XYZ, whatever we're doing, and we'll go open it there and we'll offer this to customers and we'll do that with customers and we'll market it like that. And people go, but you can't because I'm like, nonsense. We'll do this and we'll do it. I just don't see barriers. Um, it occurred to me a few months ago to write a children's book. Not done it before. Doesn't matter. Got it done. No. So every time I come across an obstacle, I just go, oh, move it, move it. And I, so I think, um, I think that really does help me at work because I do that big thinking and I don't, I don't really get distracted by negative people who try to tell me they can't, you can't do it. Not that I'm obstinate and I won't, you know, won't listen to anybody, but sometimes people get anxiety, don't they, about change and they panic. Yeah. But yeah. I'm the person that goes, come on, I'll shine the light. Let's go do this. I do, um, can I just throw something in there? Because um, when I was learning about myself, I, I, and I did this before when I was researching in the Titanic field, is I think, right, who's the biggest person in the field? I need to go to the experts and read the best books, and I will yeah. do that straight away. So with ADHD, I found um, Edward Hallowell and ADHD 2.0, and I listened okay. to it on um, Audible, and I made notes of the whole book, and it was absolutely fantastic. And he said... Um, there's many of us that we're like, we have ideas that are like popcorn and, and I immediately went and found the music to popcorn and that is exactly <laughs> how my mind works and it always has done. And I didn't realize what an incredible superpower that is. And, um, but, um, during it, he said, um, there's this fantastic personality, um, work assessment you can do to see what your working type is like. So I straight away did it and I was almost exactly yeah. like Ned Hallowell, which is really funny. So I could, I can go to somewhere and just do loads of ideas and innovative and popping, popping, popping ideas and ideas and ideas, but you run with them. I'm off now. Mm. I've given you your ideas, but I'm not going to be the industrial yeah, I'm the same. I'm not the operational person. I'm the ideas person and then have another idea. I, I, I say that always at my job interviews. I don't ever want a massive team to work for me and I don't want to run anything. But if you want someone to think differently, you want big change, you want to make things happen, then, you know, I'll start Monday. But then I always say to them, but 
but please, this is my health warning. I'll turn up on Monday like this. So if you don't want to change and you don't want to make more money and you don't want to make a difference, then don't sign me up because I will turn up on Monday like this, <laughs> you know, cause it's, and you know, com companies say they want to change and they want to do things differently. But you know, my experience over the years is that they don't really want to. Um, so I do try to warn them Look, come on, cause I'm, I bring an enormous amount of energy and ideas and, and people follow me, you know, like I get a critical mass behind me. People want to get it done. So, um, but that's fantastic because you're going to be brilliant and I'm relatively speaking, I'm a newbie, but I'm really, really enthusiastic and um, I've done lots of things in my life. I've had 23 jobs and some of them are really rubbish, but I just saying, oh, poo, that didn't work. Um, never mind. Have a meltdown. Get over it. Brush yourself off. <laughs> something else. And, uh, you know, the, the list is endless of the interesting jobs that I've had. But, you know, somebody like you is absolutely fantastic to be an advocate, to be on this big board of you know not not a board like that but around this metaphorical table of neurodivergent advocates to say come on we've got to come up with some ideas we've got to talk to the companies we've got to do these different things and i'll tell you what i i'll be there with you you know help and i want to help you know because the ideas are absolutely are absolutely brilliant so um during your life, you know, because uh, we've had such a fantastic talk, we're already more than halfway through, but that's okay. Um, in, just in your life as a whole, um, can you just think of some little pointers that were huge challenges and, and how your mental health was impacted? And what was it? What was, you know, because mental health really, you know, it's three things, isn't it? Stress, anxiety, and depression, uh, maybe addiction or something like that, uh, trauma. What, what, give, give me some um, sort of challenges that you're happy to talk about from your past that just sent your mental health off in what way? I, I think the biggest thing that immediately comes to mind is social activities. I, 80% of the time I can cope with most of life. If I'm in my 20% where I'm not doing so well, I'm really, I am going to struggle with social stuff. So I can attend some social events and I have in my life. I've, I have gone to some and some dare I admit I've even enjoyed, but, but social activities. I mean, I spend more energy trying to get out of them in creative ways than just saying, no, I can't come or I'm going to find that difficult. And then when you add food to that, like if it's an eating thing, yeah. And then you add other people drinking. I don't like being around people who've been drinking. I, 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 like I said, I don't drink. I don't do any substances. I don't smoke. I don't even do caffeine. Um, I don't like being around drunk people because I find them unpredictable. And I like to have quite a controlled environment. Yes. So social environment, loads of people, loads of noise. It used to be smoky as well, didn't it? Not anymore. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and then you add alcohol and, and the unpredictability and food and I'm like there are so many ways that this can go wrong for me I can't cope and the energy I have spent worrying and, and actually then I add one worse one which is black tie event so I don't like getting dressed up I like to wear my converse boots and skinny jeans and a t-shirt it's pretty much my uniform if you tell me wearing a dress is never going to happen but if you tell me i have to look smart smart bothers me i'm very tall and skinny and i find it very difficult to get clothes to fit and from there on the clothes thing goes to hell so if i have to be smart as well as everything else it's too hard so ridiculously a night out will floor me so yeah so don't go 
But um, it's funny what you say about music because um, I cannot wait. And if you're listening out there in the ether and you run a nightclub and it plays <laughs> late 80s, early 90s electronica music, including CeCe Peniston and uh, I Want to Make You Sweat Till You Bleed, um, can you invite me, please? Because I want to come and be on your dance floor for four hours because I'm the opposite of you. Um, you're having a difficulty with uh, a weight, your weight going, uh, you know, losing too much. And I've got a difficulty with I'm um, 20 pounds. But when I used to go and dance to this fantastic music, I didn't want to go with anyone, but I did, you know, just for that, just yeah. to have somebody to go with. I don't need anybody. I want to be on your dance floor for four hours and just dance my head off and I'll lose, I'll lose six pounds in weight that night. And maybe we can do it once every couple of weeks, you'll be my best friend. Um, to me, that's heaven. And I love rock concerts and I love things like that. But going down the pub or a, a social thing, not so keen. Yeah, I know. No, I, I, I just find it boring. And I say boring too much, but I find so many things boring. Um, and it's what's probably not, not really boring. What's a really not boring thing for you then? Um, I love going to theatre, which obviously we're not allowed to do. Um, I love going to theatre. I do like going to the, the cinema as well. Um, I I can go out for meals if I know exactly what's going to be on the menu and being gluten-free and dairy-free is a bit of a pain. So if I can guarantee I'm going to be able to eat something, you're not, if you're going to come with me, Sally, on this meal, you're not going to get to eat dessert because I won't be able to sit there long enough. So um, yeah. that might help as well. So mm -hmm. if you want to have a quick steak and chips, we're out again, that's fine. Um, I like that. Obviously, got the pup. Looking forward to being able to take him out when his vaccination's working. Um, I do like exercising, like playing tennis, I like going to the gym. I like swimming. Um, I love writing plays, obviously. Uh, and actually, the main thing that I like doing is hanging out with my kids and just having fun with them and being daft with them and being silly with them because they take my stress away. Um, you know, they, they just stop you taking yourself so seriously. And I, I, I've definitely become a different person since having kids they've been very grounding um, my eldest daughter is autistic as well and she's taught me so much about autism I was actually talking to her um, a couple of nights ago at bedtime is always a good time to have a chat about her meltdowns and and what what that feels like inside of her and it's really interesting having a nine-year-old's perspective on that because I look at her and I think what are you going to be like at 45 and the reason I write my plays the reason I talk to you you know the reason I want to talk about these very difficult and personal things is because I want to help my daughter I want to help other autistic people because there's nothing out there for us there's nobody doing this I'm not interested in an academic dry paper I'm, I'm interested in proper practical help for autistic people but well, I've got something um, for you then so I don't know if you've got a pen and paper but anyway this will come out and uh my uh, my last guest was uh, Paul Isaacs, and he's just such a fantastic advocate for autism, and um, and he is he's autistic himself, and he's just so wonderful. He he speaks. He's written five books. He he speaks at a number of different events. But one of the thing is is he's just about to start a job with a lady called Alison Knowles, who's started up um, a fantastic project, but it's going to be much bigger than that, called Ollie and His Superpowers. And um, it, it's about um, a boy who has, uh, who's autistic 
and um, and it's for children and adults and teenagers, but it's for children. And it's about being able to talk to children finally in a completely different way to look at emotions and meltdowns and naming things and to be able to talk about difficult subjects and uh, mental health and all these different things. And I've only just come across her, but she would be so wonderful. So please look up, oh, look up Alison Knowles and uh, Ollie and his superpowers because it's going through schools. She's been to America and that is absolutely something that I really hope yeah. takes off because we need something different in schools yeah, um, and, and at home and for parents to understand because chances are the parents probably got a neurodivergency as well that they that's undiagnosed i mean you're very late being diagnosed and so was i you know being being late diagnosed and let's well we've got a just um our, our sort of you know 12 13 minutes whatever it is please tell me about these fantastic plays and why you wrote them when you wrote them and and why they're so good for late diagnosed people so i wrote crocodile first of all uh, in two and a half days, I went on a writing retreat. Um, I was not in a good place, just come out of a divorce and I was battered and not you know, really, feeling very good about myself. Um, and I, I went away to this writing retreat. I didn't pay any attention because there was people there and they were talking and trying to tell me what to do and I'm not so good about that. But, but on the Wednesday lunchtime, this character occurred to me called Crocodile and I wrote the first sentence of the play and the rest is history. So I wrote Crocodile in two and a half days. I wasn't even on a playwriting course. I was just on a random writing course. And like I say, didn't pay any attention. So that was it. Crocodile was done and written as a play for the stage. But then um, COVID hit and we all got locked down. And I, I thought, this is crazy. I'm not going to stop there. Um, and then I wrote this other comedy series called Henpire um, about three lesbians who try to set up kind of an, uh, uh, a lesbian version of Netflix. And it's a comedy and it's, it's crazy. Um, but I wrote that and then we did that as an audio play. And I thought, right, I'm going to get Crocodile done as an audio play. And I'd worked with Heather Peace on Henpire. Um, if you do fancy something really, really daft and it does have autistic lead character in it, it's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> but then I thought, then I said to Heather, look, you did such a good job of playing Drax, the autistic character. Would you play Crocodile, my lead? Because I think you'd be brilliant at it. Um, and the, the way she delivers it, it's just so deadpan, exactly how I wanted it. Um, so we did, we did Crocodile. And then I thought, well, okay, well, Crocodile's in her 30s. And it was my angry story about, I was angry when I got diagnosed, not because I was autistic, but I was angry that I was only finding out now. Um, and then I thought, well, well, what would that look like um, for women who were older? So I started thinking about Mole. And Mole sat in Wales, sat in Wales so Crocodile's English. I wanted to, to, to kind of move the geography. And I, I set Mole, Mole in Wales and she's in her 50s. Um, and, and motherhood is a very big theme in all of my work as well, because I think there's lots of different ways to be a mother or not to be a mother or the yeah. other mother. And motherhood plays out through all my work. Motherhood comes out. Um, so Maul's in her 50s and she talks about the fact that she, she didn't have children and her later life diagnosis. Um, and, and she befriends a woman in the village who lost her little boy. And, and you know, what, what's it like to... To, to be a mother when you've lost your child you know who are you anymore and, and that whole conversation with autism she realizes that her little boy probably was autistic that she lost oh. so that's it's, it'll make you cry oh honestly more oh will God, make I you cry emotional you just telling me i'm gonna be a wreck i mean that one's gonna make you cry mm -hmm. and, and then and, but then you know she talks about meltdowns and and in her 50s having a meltdown it, about a chinese takeaway so and then kitty is is a final play which i you know, obviously got Maria Margulies as the lead. Um, 
and she's in the plays about her and her two granddaughters who go on this road trip across Scotland. One um, is a neurotypical granddaughter who's a big corporate corporate person who ends up getting put on sabbatical. Um, and, and her other daughter, uh, a bit like yourself and, and me, Sally, has had a million jobs because she can't keep, she can't hold them down because of her autism and ADHD. Um, and, and she wants to have a baby. And she's like, well, I, I froze my eggs quite a few years ago, but I'm really worried um, about having an autistic child because I know how hard it was to be autistic and that dilemma. So what she did was she froze her eggs before she had her autism diagnosis so that they wouldn't know. Um, because if they didn't know and they they'll be whatever they'll be you know obviously that makes sense doesn't it um <laughs> fantastic. Uh, of course it does so but and so by the end you know so her her journey for the three days and yeah. um, what is it you know is should oh. i defrost my eggs so you know that's that's what that's oh, about so right. it's it, women at different ages all dealing with the later life diagnosis of autism motherhood comes in but they're crazy stories they're not about them being autistic they're just crazy stories yeah. And you've got that woven into it. Um, but certainly if you're I, neurodivergent and um, you, you'll recognize it. It's like my, my, the book I'm writing at the moment, I, I say on the back, okay, I've got autism, you know, I'm autistic and ADHD. But because I've only just found out, you know, all my younger life up until the age of 56, there's no point in me talking about it because I didn't know I was it. But you will know because of my childhood and my and and everything that went wrong and all the, oh my god hold on to your seats and yeah. you know because you'll know and so, but it's it's so fascinating for neurotypicals as well because the whole point is is that there's a hell of a lot of 80 percent of the neurotypicals out there who would take so much from us neurodivergent people and just see us as really really interesting funny witty clever uh, people you know don't you think yeah, no, and no, definitely, and I think that's what I'm trying to do, just to have the dialogue, tell tell stories, and I always use humour, and people are like, you're telling jokes about autistic people. No, I'm not telling jokes about autistic people. I'm 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 telling, it's a comedy, it's a funny story, <laughs> and I think if you can laugh about situations, it it makes it a lot easier to to digest, and and hopefully, you know, I think people will learn a lot. But I think by the time you listen to the trilogy you learn a lot about autism without being told or reading a textbook. Um, and, and there's some fantastic comedians, aren't there? And, and I can't remember the names of them now. Oh gosh. But, and that's, you know, you Hannah just look. Gadsby. What's, yeah. What's Hannah her name? Hannah Gadsby's. Oh yeah. Autistic. She's fantastic. And, and she was the first lady, you know, the, the first person that I listened to and there's a lady up North, but you can Google, you know, and they're, they're absolutely, you know, they are absolutely brilliant. And because um, as a psychiatrist, psychotherapist one of one of the groups of people that I see are paramedics and their humor is so dark and it has to be but actually they're yeah. not coming to me because they've seen they're in trauma because what they've seen on the on their shout they're very empathic people and they're very very um you know they're 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 very caring people and a lot of them are neurodivergent and a lot of them have ADHD and some of them have got traits of autism and it's absolutely brilliant. And they're, well, they're not traits of autism. They are autistic, we're going to say, and they absolutely are. So, you know, I'd like to ask my, my guests, um, something kind of when we're starting to wind up the, um, um, the recording really in the session session. There we are. I can't get, can't get the word session out of my head is um it's that it's that thing so you know how would you like to see positive change at home at school and in the workplace 
to help all neurodivergent people feel included and valuable members of society? I know it's a big question, but if you can just see it as a, an organic sort of, you know, how, how would you picture that? I think, I mean, that is a massive question. I think, you know, being gay as well, it's taken, gosh, my, I probably my entire life for the LGBT um, story or, um, you know, existence to, to be on telly, you know, to be on EastEnders, to be on films and actually the fact that they're gay is not a thing anymore. They're just gay. It's not about them being gay. It's taken my whole life, you know, having watched that unfold in the media and, um, you know, in literature or whatever. So this is not going to be a quick fix for us. You know, neurodivergence is not going to be accepted quickly. Education's got to come along, but it can't be for a textbook. It's got to be through stories. It's got to be through shared experience. It's, it's got to be from you and I being honest and standing up and saying what it's like and getting that across to people. And it's, it's, it's like Alison at Knowles, who's written this book with Ollie and his superpowers. It's about making materials. Unfortunately, it's about all these things. It's, it's lots and lots of things, isn't it? It's not going to be any kind of quick fix. It's a commitment to culture change. That's what it is. And that, you know, acknowledging neurodivergence matters. Not it tokenistic does. stuff, you know. No, um, but it has to be somewhere because I'm a newbie as well. I, I found it so frustrating. I was... I, you know, there was one point I was getting so upset and, and everything was getting complicated and I was kind of thinking to myself, blimey, I wish I hadn't got diagnosed now because I got all wrapped up in the pronouns around, um, you know, gender and sexuality. And I thought, let me just talk, please, because we're not even talking about my own story. You know, I'm not even thinking about um, all my life thinking, you know, not being absolutely sure of where, where I sit. But please don't keep shouting at me about how to how to vote, how to articulate it, because I'm just trying to get my head around it at the moment. And, um, and, you know, and I just need to talk. And if I was a stand up comedian, I'd get into all sorts of trouble because I just need to tell my um, authentic story at the moment. And, and I really would like neurodivergent people not to get caught up on how to tell their story i'd like them just to be able to tell their story however it looks just at the moment you know and uh and we're the people that are going to do it i think what do you think about that about terminology and uh, politics? i i, I, I think you're yeah, absolutely right i mean having grown up been gay my whole life i've grown up through lots of interesting language changes about how i've been referred to over that time um and, and i've been the lgbt chair uh, of a couple of big corporates and what I always say is just because I'm gay, just because I'm autistic does not mean I'm going to get this language right. And I'm not going to know all the words all the time. And I do honestly think that the language of diversity is changing at lightning speed. Okay. It's very, very difficult yes. to keep up with it. Whoever you are, unless you're doing it as a full-time job all the time, reading, reading um, policies and papers, I think it's better to talk about it and get the words wrong, but do it with the right intent than not to talk about it. It's always better to talk about it get yourself in a pickle and then you know have that conversation always and i agree and i'm not going to um i'm um you know i will only say sorry for something that i've really done wrong and i've hurt somebody i'm not going to keep saying sorry 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 because i've said something wrong and luckily the wonderful guests that i'm having on on my on this podcast I like you, thank you so much. And, uh, and, and they do understand and, and it is important. And, uh, 
you know, I just don't want to get involved in this pitchforks at dawn because, you know, there are a lot of people in the autistic um, community who uh, they were diagnosed um, as um, um, Asperger's. So I'm not going to suddenly take that away from them and, it, and things are going to change. And, and I, let's have dialogue. Awareness is great. Action is better. Um, but I don't care what it is as long as we're talking. And let's just talk and let's talk to each other and be friendly <laughs> as much as we can and um what what i'll do is um the all these podcasts are going to be put together and come out as as one series of podcasts and um and i'll talk to you about please having all the links um but if you can just wrap up what people should look for um when they want to find out about you know uh, what do you like to call yourself and who should we look for and where um, if you go onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, uh, Google Podcasts, or Anchor, any of the big, any of the big platforms, um, it's easy probably to type my name in, um, Samantha Grierson, Samantha Grierson Schwartz. If you type those names into there, it'd be easier uh, probably to find it. You can Google me. I'm all over Google. Uh, I've got a Facebook page. I'm on LinkedIn. So if you struggle, um, find me on Facebook and I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link. Um, so, but I mean, I, I really, really would love other neurodivergent people to listen to my plays. That's why I've done it to, to put us out there, to give us a voice and to tell our stories. Thank you so much, Sam. I've really, really enjoyed um, talking to you, uh, talking with you today. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I hope maybe you can come back on the podcast again. But, you know, until you do and, and look after lovely little Doogie and, um, and I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to go on some lovely long walks and listen to your audio plays. I really can't wait. Thank you so much again. And uh, take care for now. And uh, awesome. all the best. Thank you. Sally. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to the Neurodivergence and Mental Health podcast. Links and resources will be at the end in the show notes. I very much look forward to meeting you again. Thanks for listening. Bye.